Hey, this is Robert from Washington, D.C. Hey, I'm Jimmy from Los Angeles. Hi, this is Hannah from Los Angeles. The Sound of Young America is produced independently and supported by listeners like you and me. You should support the show like I did. Just visit MaximumFun.org slash donate. I'm Jesse Thorne, live on tape from my house in Los Angeles. It's The Sound of Young America from MaximumFun.org and PRI, Public Radio International. It's the Sound of Young America. I'm Jesse Thorne. My guest on the program is Errol Morris, who might just be America's most gifted and acclaimed documentarian. His movies include The Fog of War, which won him an Oscar, The Thin Blue Line, which may have saved a man's life, and Gates of Heaven, which, according to the terms of a bet, forced Werner Herzog to eat a shoe live on stage. Morris's new film is called Tabloid. In part, it's an investigation of narrative. In part, it's an investigation of a curious character. That, of course, has been a theme of Morris's films, going all the way back to his first two, Gates of Heaven and Vernon, Florida. The movie is the story of a former beauty queen named Joyce McKinney, who fell in love with a Mormon missionary and followed him on his mission to England, bringing along a pilot, a muscle-building bodyguard, and a man who can only reasonably be described as a best friend slash bondage slave. When she found the object of her affection, she either convinced him to come with her or kidnapped him, then either convinced him to sleep with her or raped him. The case was a sensation beyond words in the English tabloid culture of the late 1970s. Here's a tabloid reporter named Peter Torrey who covered the story at the time for the tabloids in the late 1970s. In this clip from the movie, he explains how Joyce McKinney's misadventures captured the English public's attention. By this time, the British Isles was on fire with the Joyce McKinney story. That's all that was being talked about in the pubs and taverns and restaurants. Where were you when you read the Joyce McKinney story, you know? I mean, it had kinky sex, it had religion, it had a beauty queen, kidnap at gunpoint, chains being spread-eagled, it had Mormon missionaries. There was something in that story for everyone. It was a perfect tabloid story. I mean, I can never understand the public's fascination with my love life. I'm not a movie star. I'm just a person, a human being that was caught in an extraordinary circumstance. Errol Morris, welcome to The Sound of Young America. Thanks for having me on. So uh, I was thinking, as I was watching Tabloid, I was thinking about where it stood in these other films that you've made. And I was thinking about how committed you are to presenting people telling their stories um, in a way that's very interesting in the world of documentaries, I think, um, that you rarely are, you know, trying to shoot events as they happen, but you're always trying to shoot a person talking about their version of their own experience. Fair enough. (laughs) I... Love first-person storytelling. Putting someone in front of a camera and getting them uh, to tell me their story. Uh, Maybe I'm a kind of conceptual vacuum cleaner. uh, (laughs) Hoovering up this material, but it is essentially what I do. 
there are all kinds of interviews. Uh, often I'm asked why I don't do 60 Minutes or Mike Wallace-type interviews, why I'm not an adversarial interviewer, why I don't back people up against the wall, ask the difficult, embarrassing question, try to trap them in contradictions. Why I don't do that, to me the name of the game is to discovering something about other people. Uh, how they imagine themselves, how they describe their own experiences. Um, so it's the opposite of Mike Wallace, if you like. It's creating a situation where people feel free to tell me stuff. It's preserving those ambiguities, those contradictions, not between the interviewer and the person being interviewed, but inherent in the story itself. And I am a kind of nutso journalist. I don't know how else to describe myself. You seek the truth. You have to on some level. Some of your films have been about going for the truth. I mean, I think, for example, The Thin Blue Line, which was about an actual real-life murder and uh, convicted killers who were eventually released. Uh, there was a guy sentenced to death for the murder of a Dallas police officer, and I investigated and found out he didn't do it. It was a terrible miscarriage of justice. But at the heart of the story, you want to answer a very simple kind of question. Did he do it? Was he the guy who shot the cop? Was it somebody else? And if it was somebody else, who was it? And I got the real killer to confess. This is the end of my movie, The Thin Blue Lion. Yes, there's a factual question. At the center of that. Correct. But on the other hand, like I, I was thinking of uh, not just this movie, Tabloid, uh, but this movie to some extent, but also a lot of, you know, like your early movies like like Vernon, Florida, um, which I actually, I want to, I want to play a, a clip from Vernon, Florida. This is just one of the uh, many unusual residents that you encountered in this town. He's talking about the way our minds work uh, in his own um, amazing way. You ever seen a man's brains? Oh, I've seen them. I take them up, scoop them up, put them in, do, a re do them up like brains, you buying brains. But there's a bowl right here, and there's a bowl here, a bowl here, and a bowl there. Now, they're connected to the spine. The spine goes down the backbone. And uh, if all four of these uh, bowls of brains, if all four of them is functioning, you can, you're not a one-track mind. You're a four-track mind. And you can... You can... I see a lot of folks, they can type one letter, uh, write me a letter and you a letter on the type machine and write on one way with this hand and write your letter with this hand and my letter with that. But that is like a description. That film is about, I don't feel like it's about like an absolute, like trying to get to truth. And I wasn't even sure that tabloid was about trying to get to truth. It felt like it was it was more about the the truth at the center of it was a totally subjective personal truth on the part of the people who are telling the story, no matter how like bizarre and and nutso they may be to some extent. 
there's stories where y you can get at the truth. Maybe you don't know it at first, but you persist, and uh, eventually uh, something shakes out of, uh, in the case of the Thin Blue Line, over two years of investigating. Uh, here you're absolutely right, but we're limited. For example, uh, Joyce McKinney came over to England with a gang of accomplices, uh, Smith and Wesson handcuffs, <laughs> a bottle of chloroform. An actual bottle of chloroform. An actual bottle of chloroform, a fake gun. Now there's a question. Her love object, the man that she was totally obsessed with, the man she had to have, did she kidnap him? Well, clearly she was prepared to kidnap him, but did she really <laughs> kidnap him? She had the gear necessary. She had the necessary gear, she yes. She had purchased a kidnapping but kit. But did she do it? And it's the limits of perhaps what we can know and what we can't know. Uh, there were three people present. One's dead, can't interview him. The object of Joyce's obsessive love isn't going to speak to me. We sent the usual registered letters, and it's not as though he said no. He said nothing. We never heard back from him, although we know he got the letters. We know that he got the invitations for an interview, but he clearly was not interested. So what do you do? You have the outlines of a story that perhaps can't be entirely nailed down. You may never know. There's a mystery. This movie is filled with ongoing mysteries about motivations, about what really happened, about who these people really are. But one thing is clear, at least I hope it's clear, it's for real. Uh, it's proof that there is nothing stranger than reality. You could never do this in fiction. It's just too damn crazy. No one would believe it. It's The Sound of Young America. I'm Jesse Thorne. My guest is Errol Morris. He's an Oscar-winning documentarian. His new film is called Tabloid. It's an investigation of narrative culture and of an amazing and bizarre woman named Joyce McKinney who may or may not have kidnapped and sexually assaulted a Mormon missionary in late 1970s England. When did you first actually speak to Joyce McKinney? Did you, like, call her house? You, you saw something about the dog cloning part of this, which we haven't even touched on. But she, she was famous for having her bulldog cloned in Korea briefly in, you know, five, five years or so ago. Um, and you More saw a story recently, about this, that. Was it, I, you know, I lose track of time. But most of my stories come out of the newspaper in one form or another. So I'm reading the story, woman clones her pet bull uh, named Booger. Uh, woman clones Booger, five pit bull clones, South Korea, blah, 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 Korean cloning doctors, Dr. Hong, Dr. Lee. Uh, I get to the end of the article and there's this mention this woman, I believe she was identified in the article as uh, Bernan McKinney, 
the suggestion that she was connected with a sex in chains story from 30 <laughs> years ago, a story that was a gigantic tabloid story at the end of the 70s. Didn't say for sure, might be a connection. Uh, Bernan McKinney, Joyce McKinney. Well, of course, Bernan McKinney and Joyce McKinney turn out to be the same person. Of course, she's connected with this story. And seven months, eight months later, I had started a series for Showtime that was to be called Tabloid. And I thought, let's interview her. Let's see what happens. And she's fabulous. When I, when I saw her on screen, I thought of, like, Bill Clinton and how he, like many truly great politicians, has that ability to make you feel like you uh, know him immediately um, upon, like, looking into his eyes, uh, that you're, like, close personal friends. But also there's this element of, like, what's going on inside this man that's, like, really intriguing um, and I, I felt that way looking at this woman, like she's such, she's such a sincere and emotional performer as a speaker. Um, but it's also immediately very apparent that something is going on that you don't understand. Agreed. <laughs> um, to me, there are two kinds of mysteries. There's the mystery of what really happened say, the shooting of a Dallas police officer who pulled the trigger, uh, who committed the crime. There's an even deeper mystery, the mystery of what's inside people's heads. You look at Joyce McKinney and you wonder, who is this person? Why did Joyce do all of these things? What was the idea behind it? What motivated her? What was she hoping to achieve you have this um, uh, ex-Mormon in the film called Troy Williams. He's like a, a sort of former Mormon gay activist from the Chiron that's, that's on top of him. And he describes in the film um, sort of s some of the scenarios of what m might have happened um, in this situation. I, I want to play that here. Scenario number one is is Kirk's story. Fake gun, chloroform, kidnapped, tied up, forced to have sex. The second version is Joyce's story. They were going to be married. They were going to have children. He needed to escape from the Mormon church. She goes to rescue him. They rush away and have this magical, wonderful night, weekend together. And then they get him, they brainwash him, and all of a sudden he's claiming rape. The third scenario is something in between. There was a consensual aspect to his getaway with her. But then somewhere along the line, he had second thoughts. And he wanted it to stop. And it didn't. I get the impression from this, from reading. I recently, we just, we just got your uh, uh, pre-publication version of your new book. One of the things that strikes me about it is that, like, you are into the mystery part yes You're into the whole you know there's 50 pages the first 50 pages in this book which is about um uh the relationship between truth and photography essentially 
is uh, is an examination of this one iconic photograph that involves you flying to the Crimea, which I'm frankly, I only have a vague understanding of what the Crimea even is as a place. <laughs> um, uh, it's sort of like if you said Mexican Riviera, I would be like, okay, I vaguely have some idea of what it's in Mexico, I think. Um, but you flying to the Crimea to like borrow a cannonball from a museum and put it out on a field that you tricked a, a guide into taking you to and, and photographing it from different angles to try and figure out what time of day this picture was taken in in the 19th century. So it seems like one of the things that you must get a kick out of is just following those steps, like just pulling, pulling strings until the whole sweater is unraveled. Absolutely. Um, it's following an obsessive trail no matter where it might lead, um, no matter what. Maybe it's one of the reasons I, I like Joyce McKinney so much and this story of obsessive love. Uh, I like to think I share some of that obsessiveness. I remember years ago, there was a Sinclair Lewis adaptation of his novel Dodsworth with Walter Houston and Mary Astor. And there was this line, I've always loved that line, love should stop somewhere short of insanity. And I remember at the time thinking, Why? Why does love have to stop short of insanity? Why not go all the way? And this certainly is a story of love that does not, with emphasis, does not stop short of insanity. I'll talk with acclaimed director Errol Morris about one of the high points of his career, his Miller High Life commercials, after a break. It's the Sound of Young America from MaximumFun.org and PRI, Public Radio International. Production of the Sound of Young America is supported in part by Ask Metafilter. Thousands of life's little questions answered online at ask.metafilter.com. It's the Sound of Young America. I'm Jesse Thorne. My guest is the documentarian Errol Morris. His new film combines the high-mindedness of a consideration of how narrative shapes our understanding of the world and a sex in chains story. It's called Tabloid. I want to ask you about uh, uh, something kind of goofy, which is... Uh-oh. Your... Um, your career and your reputation have been built on your uh, amazing documentary films. Um, but a significant part of how you earn your living is directing commercials, um, like a lot of uh, independent film directors. And you've created some really remarkable commercials. And there's one series that I, I remember when you when you opened a website and had your... Uh, you had some some of your work in like a reel, a commercial reel on the website or something like that. Still do. I, I saw the clips and thought, oh, Errol Morris directed those. That's why they were like that. And that is this, this campaign for Miller High Life. Yes. Um, I, I'm going to play the 
uh, the audio of one of these commercials called Olive Loaf. Temptation tells you to have that olive loaf fresh from the pack. But you know a finger can break through the surface of stiff, cold meat, either popping out the olives or resulting in tears that can offend your sense of craftsmanship. Yes, better to let that lunch meat breathe. You know the reward for your patience. It's called living the high life. I sometimes think my movies will be completely forgotten. No one will watch them. No one will know about them. But what will survive ultimately is my Miller High Life commercials. (laughs) (laughs) They're really, really good. (laughs) The writing is extraordinary. I got to work. We call uh, them the Jeffs, Jeff Kling, Jeff Salis, Jeff Williams. Uh, It was Errol and the Jeffs uh, that created over 150 Miller High Life commercials. And we often wonder, how is it that they let us do this? (laughs) And I think there's a simple answer. No one was really watching. No one really cared. And by the time they did care, we'd already done a lot of remarkable work. I'm very, very proud of them. And I tell Jeff Kling, who wrote Olive Loaf among many of these uh, commercials, that he might have written the greatest line since Shakespeare, a commercial about Miller High Life and duct tape. The voiceover is... If the pharaohs had duct tape, the sphinx would still have a nose. (laughs) It's very, very good writing. It looks like um, a a color photograph from the 60s, like a personal, like a like a instamatic or like a snapshot. It has it has those colors in it. And like a lot of these commercials, you see only pieces, especially of the people. Um, And it's usually men. I mean, beer commercials are largely targeted at men. But it's like it's like a over the shoulder shot from, you know, the base of the neck to the sort of middle of the sternum, like little pieces of things is what you see. I'm very much interested in breaking the rules. Um, probably they checked all those bad boxes on my report card in elementary school. Uh, Fails to pay attention, won't sit still, causes trouble in class. Um, Breaking the rules does interest me. Breaking the documentary rules, breaking uh, rules of photography, of storytelling, trying to create something, hopefully, that works, but something different. Um, There's a lot of rule-breaking in Miller High Life that I'm quite proud of, the way people are framed. You pick a frame and and you do it all wrong. (laughs) You do something completely different. Uh, The things that you would normally cut out, you'll leave them in. 
people love to control things. Uh, feature filmmaking is by and large about control. Uh, do this, don't do that. Stand here, don't stand there. Don't get me wrong, there's control in my movies as well. But I'm really interested in mistakes, things that are not completely in control, accidents, uh, the fortuitous. Uh, all of that stuff makes film really, really, really interesting. I often think of it as taxidermy. You control too much and you end up something that is unreal and lifeless. And the goal is to bring it back to life. I, I like to um, listen to this uh, public radio show out of uh, Los Angeles, out of KCRW here in Los Angeles, called uh, The Treatment, hosted by Elvis Mitchell. And he interviews a lot of filmmakers. Sure, and, I've been on it. Yeah, it's a, great, it's a, wonder, it's a really wonderful program, um, and he's a brilliant interviewer. Uh, but I often think that they should have like a um, like the equivalent of a swear jar for when a feature filmmaker says, I really think of myself as a storyteller. Um, because at this point, I think you get like eight out of 10 of the guests on the show will have a part where they say, oh, I think of myself as a storyteller. Yes. But this, your new movie, how about, tabloid. How about this? I think of myself as a failed storyteller. <laughs> The the your new movie tabloid isn't just telling a story. Um, it, essentially, it's a story about storytelling. Uh oh! See, now <laughs> I'm going to lose whatever audience I got from this show. It's gone now. People who are like, oh, I remember those Miller High Life commercials. Those were great. <laughs> now you've done it. But it is, and I know that you like you subs- you uh, you have openly discussed subscribing to tabloids, and your tabloids. Wait are... a minute! I openly subscribe to tabloids. Yes. I love tabloids. Yes, and tabloids are about storytelling above all else. They're just depending on the tabloid, they have varying degrees of uh, grounding in the truth. Um, Simplified storytelling. Storytelling almost in the abstract. Uh, Correct me if I'm wrong, but the tabloid idea is if you can't hook somebody in four, five, six words, game over. Uh, You got to work fast. You have to be succinct. You might call tabloid storytelling uh, storytelling at ground zero. It's the essence of it. Uh, I do something a little bit different. I hope I'm not confessing to something that's going to get me into trouble. Uh, It's really as you described. I'm very much interested in how stories are constructed. Uh, I like tabloid stories, but I also like sneaking a peek behind the curtain of looking at how tabloid stories come to be, how they're manufactured. Um, uh, it's a way of giving us a perspective on narrative, on stories, on the relationship between... And this is one of my themes. It's certainly something that interests me, the relationship between stories and the truth. 
Do stories blind us to the truth? Do they help us see the truth? Uh, do we really need stories in order to survive? I mean, what would life be without them? How would we ever navigate the chaos of reality without some way of taking all of these crazy experiences and details and making sense of them? Well, some of my favorite public radio shows, um, uh, This American Life. Um, you know, I'm doing a feature film uh, with Ira Glass. Oh, that's tremendous. Based on a story that was reported on This American Life. We're movie partners. I don't know if we're joined oh. quite at the hip. Well, th- there's This American Life is is a show that is more dedicated to the narrative form than basically anything ever. And then another one of my favorite public radio shows is a show called On the Media. Um, and, and I think when I listen to those, one of the things that is always coming up in my head is wondering about how that human craving for narrative shapes the world. I mean, shapes the way we not just process information, but what information even that we process. In countless ways that we can't even imagine. Stories are so powerful that we exclude information, evidence, because uh, it doesn't conform to the story that we have in mind, the story that we feel most comfortable with, the story we wish to believe. Stories may even be more powerful than the world around us. <laughs> That's serious stuff you're rolling out here, Errol Morris. Eh. <laughs> well, Errol, thank you so much for taking the time to be on the San Diego America. No, this has been a truly interesting discussion. I enjoyed it. Thank you. The director, Errol Morris. His film Tabloid is now in limited release, and it's entering wide release later this month. If you want to watch his Miller High Life commercials, which I highly recommend, you can find them online at errolmorris.com. That's our time for another Sound of Young America program. I have been your host, Jesse Thorne. The show is produced by Speaking Into Microphones. Our producer, Julia Smith. Our editor, Nick White. Our music provided by Dan Wally. Our intern is Paulo Balboa. You can find us online at MaximumFun.org where you can download any and all of our programs for free. Not just The Sound of Young America, but also our comedy shows. Like the Brotherly Advice Program, My Brother, My Brother, and E. The frankly somewhat unusual judge program, Judge John Hodgman, my own comedy talk show, Jordan Jesse Go, and much more. It's all free and it's all online at MaximumFun.org. If you have thoughts about the show, you can always email me at jesse at MaximumFun.org. We'll see you next time right here on The Sound of Young America. Production of The Sound of Young America is supported in part by Ask Metafilter. Thousands of life's little questions answered online at ask.metafilter.com.